This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. Well, it is Friday just before 5 p.m. Wall Street time, uh, just before that holiday weekend. So I think it's as good a time as any to be talking about wine. And joining us now to help us do that is David Duncan, CEO of Silver Oak Winery. He joins us on the phone from Napa Valley, California. David, how are things out there in Napa right now? Good afternoon, Tim. Uh, everything is really nice. <laughs> We're having a a wonderful spring and it's dry we're, we're definitely in a dry a dry cycle again but uh it's uh, beautiful in napa yeah it's always beautiful in california i can say that as a californian and we're going to talk about um environment and, and drought and dryness in a few minutes but i want to start just by hearing about what the last 14 months have, have been like for for you at silver oak winery and specifically um how americans drank wine in your wine during the pandemic yeah, it's been really a fascinating, uh, you know, exercise, if you will, from a from a production standpoint, and you know, being a, a being a vintner and making wine, it's all been pretty much, you know, normal. Um, mm. We've been growing grapes and making wine, and and uh, our teams, you know, we're keeping all of our employees safe and and doing everything that we can to to deal with the pandemic. Uh, from a consumer standpoint, it's been just an amazing change. You know, we focus on selling our wines in restaurants and. As our restaurant partners across the country and really around the world were close, were forced to close, um, you know, we were worried, frankly, and we found that the consumers, uh, you know, found other ways to purchase wine. And so um, working with, uh, you know, fine wine shops and uh, all the, the way the states opened up to allow wine shipping really allowed us to, to uh, you know, shift our focus and, and provide you know, the wines into people's glasses where they were. And uh, I think as the restaurants come back, we're going to, we're going to, we're really going to see uh, the demand shift uh, again. So can, can you talk about those? Yeah. Talk, talk about the regulatory changes here, because I have this memory of, I, I grew up on the central coast of California, wine country, uh, in, on the central coast wine country. And I have this memory of, of, of going to UPS with a case of wine and uh, trying to ship it to a friend of mine in Maine. And this was, you know, 15, 17 years ago. And that they told me I couldn't do that. And I didn't understand why at the time. Take me into the regulatory changes over the last year that has allowed you to ship wine. Well, you know, uh, 10, 10, 12 years ago, we were only allowed to ship wine into 13 states directly. And that really has to do with the repeal of prohibition, you know, back in the 30s and how um, they, it was given to state control. So each state has its own uh, um, you know, distribution model. Uh, some states are state controlled. Some states are, most states are, you know, you have to sell through a distributor. They call it the three tier system. So it's producer to distributor to either retailer or restaurant. And, um, and so uh, there was a perception really that, that, um, you know, if, if you cut out the distributor, they wouldn't make money. And so the, you know, distribution would be fighting for their, their share and, and, but I think what really happens is what I call the buying occasion. So, you know, I mean, you're probably familiar with different wines that you enjoy. And if you can find them at your fine wine shop, you know, for, say, $50 a bottle, but at a restaurant, that same bottle is $75 yeah. a bottle, you're willing to pay that because it's like buying a steak at, you know, at the grocery store and grilling it yourself versus um, having the same steak, you know, on the menu and prepared and brought out on a clean white plate. You know, so I think there's... Um, uh, so that that's basically and and you know the producers and um, really 
helped to promote the idea and the states responded that the customer, you know, the consumers were there and with restaurants closed, we needed to be able to sell our product. Um, and so many, many states, I think we can shift to 45 states now. So, um, you know, it is, it's changed pretty dramatically and it'll be interesting to see how that model continues to evolve as we come back out of the pandemic. David, is that, is that a permanent shift? Um, is that the well, regulatory I the question? Yeah, I mean, because so much, at least you know, there, there's so many temporary things that happened during the pandemic, but just in the last 45 seconds that we have, and then we're going to come back with you and talk more. Um, is that a permanent shift? Do we know? Yeah, I don't think we know that yet. I think um, there's definitely uh, a call for that. And I think the consumer enjoys it. I think we've proved that we're not shipping wine to minors, you know, especially, <laughs> especially ultra premium wines, and uh, which has always been an argument. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think the landscape has permanently changed. Um, you know, I think some of it will regress, but I think for the most part, we're going to remain in this in this type of uh, model going forward. David Duncan, sit tight because we're going to do some news and then come back with a few more minutes uh, from David Duncan, chief executive officer at Silver Oak Winery, he joins us from Napa Valley, California. You can follow Silver Oak on Twitter at Silver Oak. Let's get right back to it with David Duncan, who's CEO at Silver Oak Winery, joining us now on the phone from Napa Valley, California. David, CEO of four wineries uh, and also a, a board member at the Napa Valley Vintners. David, it's great, uh, great to have you back with us. I want to start by just talking about the, um, the, the, the physical environment where you are and, and just what is happening in California and what has been happening throughout my entire lifetime. I mean, I grew up there. And uh, it felt like we were always in a drought. And, and this year seems to be no exception. And I'm wondering how do you adjust to that as a, as a winemaker? Well, I mean, it's, Tim, it's a complicated issue. And, you know, we, what's interesting is that in two of the last five, five winters, we've had absolute record rains. And, you know, our typical rainfall in the Napa Valley is around 33 inches. And we had upwards of 60 inches, um, you know, in two of those winters. And what that creates is a lot of growth in the forests, And so, you know, and, and growth means fuel. And then, you know, one of the things that makes uh, Napa and Sonoma such a special place to grow uh, wine grapes is that we get these dry summers, which is important to, um, you know, the process of, of growing high quality grapes. And, and so it's really typical to be dry during the summer. But in this past winter, we only had about 11 or 12 inches of rain. So, you know, we're less, well less than half of normal rainfall. Um, and so, you know, it's dry again. And I think uh, there's many efforts. The Napa Valley Vintners are leading the way. Uh, I'm serving on the fire uh, mitigation task force, um, you know, and we're really working with the public, with the utilities, with uh, CAL FIRE um, to, you know, try and uh, understand and do what we can to help mitigate um, these fires. You know, I think if you came and visited Napa Valley right now, I think you'd be hard pressed to really uh, know what what happened last last year mm-hmm. um you know there's there are places obviously that you drive up and you can really see a lot of damage but in general you know the vineyards are fine uh the wine grape you know the grape vines are fine um it's difficult on the people and of course uh we were very fortunate that uh, virtually nobody lost their life last year which is, of course is the main thing for us yeah, but it's not just fires david it's also irrigation and and making sure you have the resources that you need to grow these grapes how do you do it yeah, you know, I mean, a lot has changed in technology in uh, grape growing in the in really in the last 15 years as we've developed tools to really measure what the grapevine needs. And so um, I know 
from both from our production facilities, which we've rebuilt uh, in the last 10 or 12 years, um, and in the vineyards, uh, we're probably using, well, I know for a fact that in the vineyards, we're, we're using about a third of the water that we would have used, you know, 15 or 20 years ago and, and prior to that. And um, because we're able now to measure the uptake of, uh, of, of water into the vine and know, you know, we call it precision viticulture. So we really can uh, pinpoint what the vine needs. And, and frankly, we were overwatering in the old days, hmm. creating a lot of unnecessary canopy growth. And, and um, so a lot of that's changed. And, you know, we feel uh, very confident that um, some of our vineyard properties, we even dry farm uh, or maybe irrigate oh. once or twice a year. Wow. And so, um, you know, I think the, the uh, if this goes into a prolonged drought again and our, our aquifers get depleted, that will be a different problem. But I think for the 2021 vintage, you know, we're we're in really good shape. Do you think the industry faces though an existential threat from climate change? Well, <laughs> I have my my answer to that question is is generally that if we can't grow Cabernet in Napa Valley, we get, we're going to have a lot bigger problems on our hands than than uh, than that. You know, so I think that um, uh, there certainly is, uh, um, you know, it is it seems warmer. Although I can tell you. Uh, I just got the data from our vineyard team um, yesterday that the uh, average temperature in um, in Napa Valley in this spring was 10 degrees below the 33-year average. I mean, mm. that is a remarkable thing. It was a cold spring, um, and we're seeing the vine growth kind of starting off slow. So I don't like to call it global warming. I call it climate change, you know, and, and it may be actually too cool here, <laughs> you know, wow. so um, I think it's a, it's a difficult problem. But you know, as a community, we're farmers, and and farmers roll with the punches, and and dealing with Mother Nature is you know part of what we got to do, and and continue to carry on. One thing that's uh, you, know, you look at what happened. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to point out, you know, unfortunately, what happened in in France this year was just catastrophic, and that was a, a freeze. You know, it was two freezes. They they had two major freezes um, in France, and has you know created absolute havoc for our brethren over there. In, in Bordeaux and Burgundy and other regions of France. Hey, David, one thing that I want to touch on that's unique about Silver Oak is that it's the only North American winery to own its own cooperage, a barrel-making facility. What does that provide you? Well, uh, you know, the barrel is an important component in winemaking, and for Silver Oak in particular, uh, we use 100% American oak barrels. Um, and for some of our other wine brands, we use French oak. So, But for Silver Oak, we use American oak barrels. And by owning our own cooperage, we're able to ensure our wood supply. There's an aging process of the wood that actually goes into a barrel. We dry it for two years outside before we make it into a barrel. Um, and uh, and then the quality aspects of, of our barrels uh, from what we call the oak. It's called the Oak Cooperage. Um, and if people are interested in that, there's a wonderful website with a lot of explanation because there's a, you know, making a barrel is like making a piece of furniture. There's a, a great deal that goes into it, and um, it's a pretty fascinating process. I'm I'm curious about trends that you're expecting within your customer base right now. How have American wine drinkers changed? Well, you know, I think what we're seeing really is, uh, I'd say, a, a general maturation of taste. And so people are uh, understand value in wine and understand quality. Um, and so and I think, you know, everybody's always talking about the next generation um, you know, we are seeing definitely a trend towards younger people in our tasting rooms, um, uh, even more interest in wine. I just read an article about um, one of the top three things. Uh, I think it was a it was a uh, 
uh, a survey that was done, and one of the top three things of maturity was knowing about wine. And so, you know, people are are interested, and in, you know, I think you see that across the spirits and and uh, wine drinking uh, public that you know they want to drink better quality wines and and um, and enjoy that moment and and you know what comes with opening a bottle of wine, which is generally you know the conviviality and joy that uh, a great bottle of wine and a meal brings with your friends and family. All right, David, before we go, I'm going to have you pick your, your favorite child here. Um, what's your favorite wine that you offer right now? We only have about 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Today is my mother's 90th birthday. Oh. So uh, I think we'll, it's going to be a little warm this afternoon. I think we'll be drinking Sauvignon Blanc. Um, but uh, there's nothing that beats a great bottle of Alexander Valley Cap. All right. Well, happy birthday to your mom and a big thank you for taking the time and joining us on Bloomberg Business Week. It's David Duncan, CEO at Silver Oak Winery. He joins us from Napa Valley, California.